Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. Well, tonight as we begin our Revelation study, we are on lesson number 14, going through the book that reveals to us Jesus Christ. And the reason it is revelation and not in the plural with an S on the end, it's just revelation because it's the revealing of the Savior, the Son of God. And tonight we are in chapter 7. We're going to cover the entirety of chapter 7. And as we have studied up to this point, I remind you that when we open chapter 4, this is on your sheet, uh, we begin God's prophecy of history as we know it, drawing to a close, as God opens up something new as He closes the history of this old earth. In the last days of the earth, they will be the days of the great tribulation, and those days will be filled with a great fear for many people. But also we find that the last days of the earth's history contains the greatest evangelical push to bring people to Jesus Christ of all time, the greatest push to bring people to Jesus occurs during the Great Tribulation. Many, many people are saved during the seven years of the Great Tribulation. Tonight, you will see that shown forth in chapter 7 of the book. But are they saved through the church? And the answer is no, because the church is no longer on this earth. Uh, This is called the pre-tribulationist view that the church is raptured out before the tribulation begins. Uh, Before the wrath of God is poured out, Jesus raptures or catches His church out of here, out of the earth. And so His people are going to see what's happening from the vantage point of paradise. Now, I've given you multiple scriptures to substantiate the truth that the church is removed off of the earth. It is raptured away before the great tribulation begins. Let me give you one more scriptural basis that the church is gone as the trouble begins. In the book of Genesis, you don't have to turn there. Just listen to this or write down a note about it. In the book of Genesis, Abraham has a nephew. His name is Lot. Lot was a man of God. However, he and his family settled in a very ungodly city. They settled in the city of Sodom. And Sodom was so saturated with wickedness and homosexuality, God determined that he was going to destroy this city to get rid of that sin. But not before Lot and his family was removed from the city. God was going to destroy Sodom But he wanted to bring Lot and his family out of the city before the brimstone fell. In Genesis chapter 19, two angels of God urge Lot to get himself and his wife and his two daughters out of Sodom before the judgment of God falls on the city to destroy it. So these angels are urging Lot to get his family out of the city before judgment comes. Scripture says that Lot lingered in the city. He didn't hurry out according to the angel's urgings, but rather he lingered there so that the angels bodily seized Lot and his wife and his daughters and led them out of Sodom before the judgment came to the city. The minute they were clear from the city, brimstone and fire fell on Sodom and completely destroyed the city 
by the wrath of God as the judgment against the blatant sin taking place in that city. Now, from that scene, I believe we can see that Jesus will bodily seize his people out of this earth before judgment falls as, uh, as a judgment against sin and willful disobedience uh, to God. So the church is out of here. Just as Lot was bodily taken out of Sodom, the church is going to be bodily taken out of the world before judgment falls during the Great Tribulation. Now, in Revelation chapter 6... Jesus begins the role of the Great Tribulation by breaking the seals on the great scroll of ownership. If you remember earlier in the book, God Almighty held the scroll of ownership of the universe and everything therein. And no one was able or had the authority to take the scroll from God's mighty hand except the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. When he takes the scroll of ownership It is sealed with seven seals. If you remember, I told you once uh, in another uh, lesson that as the scroll is rolled up, there's a seal put and rolled a little more with another seal and rolled a little more with another seal. So it was rolled and sealed seven times as it was rolled up. Uh, and, And Jesus is the one who breaks the seals, which pours out the great tribulation on the earth. And these tribulations are awesome punishment. But again, I want to remind you of something tonight that I said last week. Punishment against the wicked and the unrepentant and the hard-hearted sinner is as much God's right as saving the believer. Punishment is as much God's right as salvation is God's right to give. He can give punishment and he can give salvation according to his holy will and his holy plan. That's his way of dealing with righteousness and dealing with sin. Now, let's quickly recap the six seals of the seven that are broken thus far. Seal number one is the release of the Antichrist. He is riding a white horse, carrying a bow. Uh, He deceives and misleads the world's people. Seal number two, with the Antichrist deception comes war and bloodshed as the red horse gallops forth. Seal number three, the black horse steps forth. It is the horse of starvation which follows war and bloodshed. Seal number four is the pale horse. Remember the Greek word for pale is chloros, an ugly yellow-green color. It's the color of death riding forth. Hell is closely following behind, and unsaved people are dying, and hell is claiming the soul. Seal number five, God promises divine retribution upon those who are killed as Christians during the Great Tribulation. So seal number five is punishment against those who are killing, martyring those who are believers. And seal number six, As we studied it last week, nature goes crazy, earthquakes abound, volcanoes are spewing, mountains are moving, islands are moving on their moorings in the ocean. Uh, Nature is simply falling apart. In fact, nature is in such upheaval that people are so filled with fear that they desire to crawl into the mountainous caves and get away from the face of God, hiding from His wrath, asking the mountains to fall on them and cover them rather than see the wrath of God poured out on the sinner. So at this point in the book, at the close of chapter 6, 
Six of the seven seals have already been broken. And we are beholding an awesome scene as the earth gets farther and farther into the tribulation and the punishment and the judgment and the wrath that God is sending. Now, chapter 7, as we study tonight, is an interlude chapter. In all of this upheaval that's taking place, here's a moment of calm. God seals a group of people to be a huge witnessing force for Jesus Christ during the Great Tribulation. The reason so many people are saved during the Tribulation is because God is sending evangelists into this world under wrath to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And many, many, we find, come to the Lord during this seven years. So tonight we're going to read the entirety of chapter 7. I remind you of what it says in chapter 1, verse 3, that when we simply read this book, we will be blessed. So tonight we're going to read the entirety of chapter 7. And automatically, I can promise you by the very word of God that you and I will be blessed because we've opened his word to this chapter. So uh, open with me to Revelation chapter 7. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Aser were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, 
thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of a great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. May God add His blessing to this reading of chapter 7 of Revelation. And tonight we automatically are blessed as we have heard these great words from God's Word. So in the midst of the great tribulation, in the midst of the breaking of the six seals, we see this moment of peace. I want you to notice in chapter 7, the first verse, it says that four angels stand at the four corners of the earth, and they're holding back four winds. Does this picture a flat world? Absolutely not. They're standing at the points of north and south and east and west. And they are responsible for holding back the winds of God's judgment in this moment. Before His judgment continues to lash the earth, this is a moment that it all falls into peace. And a fifth angel, these four angels are holding back the wind, but then a fifth angel ascends, comes up to the scene... Now, this angel seems to be of higher angelic rank than the other four because he orders them to hold back the judgment until a special force of witnesses for Jesus Christ is sealed to preach during the Great Tribulation. These servants of God are going to lead multitudes to faith in Christ. Again, remember, it is not the church. The church is gone. This is an effort of evangelism that's taking place now that the church is off of the scene. You will notice that the number of these special missionaries is 144,000. Who are they? Well, they're not the church. The church is gone. And furthermore, nowhere in Scripture will you find the church referred to as the children of Israel, as we see it in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4. The sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob, always, always in God's Word refers to the Jewish nation. The 144,000 are Jewish of heritage. Now, this is a select number of Jews who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they are set apart by God Almighty to be holy witnesses in the Great Tribulation. What we see here in chapter 7 is from the beginning of Genesis now to the ending of Revelation, God is not finished with His chosen people. It's amazing that the world has tried to extinguish the Jews off of the face of the earth for many centuries. Even as recently as our past century, the Jews were uh, attempted to be extinguished from the earth. But God is not finished with His chosen people. And what is so wonderful here is that we see the Jews coming to Jesus as their Messiah. And they are witnesses of Christ the Lord as being the Savior of the world. The Jewish nation refused Him for many centuries 
But at this point of the great tribulation, we see Jews standing up to proclaim that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah of the world. Now, in order to make 144,000, the math is very simple. Of the 12 tribes of Israel, there are 12,000 chosen from every tribe and sealed as missionaries. And if you add up 12,000 12 times, you get 144,000 missionaries. If you look, you don't have to do this tonight, but write down this reference, Genesis chapter 35, verses 22 through 26. If you look at that reference in Genesis 35, you will find the names of the 12 tribes of Jacob or the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob, of course, renamed Israel by God. These 12 tribes are here in Revelation chapter 7, except one. There's one tribe that we see in Genesis that is not in Revelation. Jacob had one son whose name was Dan. But Dan's people were so guilty of idolatry that they were actually disowned by God. They had gotten so far away from God that God Almighty disowned this particular son and his family because of their gross immorality and uh, following idolatry. So Dan's name is not on this list. He's replaced by Manasseh. When you see Manasseh's name, Manasseh is not one of the original tribes of Jacob or Israel. Manasseh was the son of Joseph, so that means he was Jacob's grandson. But in Genesis chapter 48, verse 5, Jacob adopts Manasseh as his own son. So Manasseh's people replaces Dan's tribe of unfaithfulness on this list. Isn't that interesting? Dan is not there, but Manasseh, the grandson who was adopted as a son, appears on this list. So 144 Christian Jews, they are sealed by God and they proceed out into the world to draw multitudes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we see the fruits of their labors. Look at chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I, remember, this is John who is writing the book, the Apostle John, an old man on the island of Patmos. He says, after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So these 144,000 evangelists are going out into the world uh, preaching about Jesus Christ. And it says that unnumbered multitudes of people during the tribulation come to Christ as Lord and Savior because of the evangelical outreach of this 144,000. Now this number, I'm sure, is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles alike. This worldwide evangelistic effort results in more salvations than can be counted. Isn't that amazing? One of the greatest outreaches of all the history of the earth will be during the Great Tribulation. Verse 9 says it's a great multitude that no man can number. Now, because they're standing before God's throne in white robes, it is probable that these are the ones who professed Christ on this earth 
And with the Antichrist reign on the earth, these were martyred. They were killed because of their simple belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They were killed because of their faith. I want you to notice that they're holding palm branches. Uh, Those are symbols of joy. They stand waving these branches before God. They're joyful to be before God Almighty. There's only one way to be joyful before God Almighty in this particular instance. You must be saved. There will be no joy before God if you're not saved. So they're waving palm branches of joy, and they are praising God because they are saved. They're participating in this tremendous worship. They are the faithful, and they're loving the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, look at chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. Speaking about this great number of people, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. I love that it begins with an amen and it ends with an amen, which is just simply the affirmation that we agree in the praise. Well, the old apostle John, drawn off the island of Patmos to see this throne room of God and what's happening there, he's watching this terrific scene of sealing and blessing and salvation and worship and praise. Can you just begin to imagine what this man's eyes are beholding in this scene of breaking the seals and seeing servants sealed, seeing multitudes coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, one of the 24 elders that we read about earlier in the book comes to John and he asks a question. He asks John, who are these people in the white robes. Where did they come from? And John says, sir, you know better than I where they come from and who they are. So what he's implying here is, sir, you know, which means please tell me what you know so I will know it as well. And the elder says they have been saved out of the great tribulation. They have dipped their robes and their sins and their failures and their fears in the red blood of Jesus Christ that flowed from the cross on the day of his crucifixion. And when their robes emerged from the blood of Christ, they came out from the blood as sparkling white. That's an amazing word picture that we think about. Their sins are forgiven. They're now children of God and will remain so for all eternity. They will worship and serve God And he says that God himself will shelter them. They will never hunger again. These people were martyrs. They probably starved. Many of them starved to death. He says they will never thirst again. They will never suffer again. They will never cry again. They will never mourn again. They will never hurt again. I believe that as we see those words, we can only imagine what these saved multitudes went through on this earth after they received Jesus as Lord and Savior. They were starved. They were hurt. They were murdered. They were incarcerated. There was great suffering. There was much crying. There was a lot of mourning because family members were dying right and left. But this is the scene where all is made well. I think verse 17 is a very interesting verse. Look at 717, the last verse of chapter 7. 
For the Lamb, the Lamb, notice it's a capital L, the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Here's what I want you to notice. If you read that verse, what it's saying is this, the Lamb is the shepherd. Isn't that interesting? Most places you will see the Lord God is the shepherd who takes care of us, the sheep. But here the lamb is the shepherd of we who are the sheep. I think that's such an interesting statement. The good shepherd will lead us to springs of living water. Well, as we close chapter 7 of Revelation, we see this as a tremendous chapter of evangelism. In fact, it gives us a picture of evangelism in the future that should be our passion this day as well, that we want to see this world saved before the great tribulation comes. There will be a great evangelical push when the great tribulation is in process, but how wonderful it would be if we could see people saved this day so they will not have to go through the great tribulation. They won't have to go through the wrath being poured out. But during the tumult of the tribulation, thousands upon thousands upon thousands are saved. But notice here, as throughout God's Word, it is mentioned that there's only one way to come to a holy God, and that is by the blood of His Son, who is the Lamb. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to forgiveness. He is the only way to salvation. And it is stated here at the end of God's Word so very plainly. This chapter proves the fact that salvation is for the Jew as well as the Gentile. And tonight we're so grateful, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that we have dipped our robes into the blood of the Lamb and we are white and clean and pure. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. But throughout God's Word, we see that He is the one who took the steps that we might be saved. We could not save ourselves, so God did it for us. Going to the old rugged cross, rising from the dead as we celebrate it this coming Sunday morning. And we just need to come and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you did it all for me. And we need to take that good news into the world. Tonight, we simply need to fall before the Lord in thanksgiving. This chapter assures us that one day we're going to stand before the throne in that white robe. We're going to be with the Lord, and He is going to be our shepherd for all of eternity because of what He's done for us and our simple trust and faith and belief in Him. Tonight I pray that we together will say thank you, Lord, that this is my inheritance. What I see in Revelation chapter 7 is my inheritance. It is my promise, and it will be lived out in my life. You know, it's, it's by God's plan and God's wisdom that we don't know how many earthly days we have. We are just to live every day that we have and every breath that we breathe to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know the length of our days, but we do, through this book, know our future. And it is going to be spent with Him. And we need to say, Lord, thank you. Now, I want to show you another verse that I, that I find very intriguing that, uh, that we need to remember as we look at heaven and what heaven is all about. It's verse 15. Look at 7.15. All of these saved who are at the throne of God 
Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. What are we going to do in heaven? Well, according to that simple verse, I don't think we're going to just sit on a cloud and pluck on a harp all day long. But you will notice the word serve. Somehow, some way in heaven, you and I are going to be given a holy task of service. Perhaps it will be according to some talent that we already have. I don't know. But I do believe that you and I will be uniquely involved in serving the king some way. It will be service that will not make us tired. It will be service that will only bring us joy. Uh, And it will be service that will go on throughout eternity. We're going to do something for our Savior in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I'm so thankful. But doesn't that necessarily mean if the Bible says that we're going to serve the Lord in heaven for all of eternity, what should we be doing today? Again, we bear in mind, we remember that these days are unlike any other day of eternity. Because when we get to heaven, we will not have the opportunity to lead someone to Jesus. All the people there will be saved. So that means in these few days that we have, and believe me, by reflection of heaven, these are a very few days. Laura mentioned a 91-year-old grandmother. Very few days, 91 years, as we look forward to eternity. But in our few short years that we have, we are supposed to be serving the Lord here and now. And our service, by the talents that the Lord has given to you and me, our service is always directed to bring the lost to the Savior. It is our opportunity that we have in these days to share Jesus with a lost person. Tonight, I pray that the Lord will prick your heart and mine as well, that tomorrow and days to come, we will be on the lookout for that person that we need to speak to, uh, that we need to reach out to, that we, need, that we need to love as a reflection of the love of Jesus Christ and lead them to the Savior.